Okay, well, I'm going to jump into Ephesians. And we're, we're moving right along. We're moving a little bit quicker now through Ephesians. And one of the reasons why we're able to move a little bit faster through Ephesians is because uh, the first part of it, every little detail is important for understanding the rest of it. But now Paul is getting to some places where some of the things he's talking about are things he's already talked about before. And he's just kind of pulling some things together. And so we've, we've moved through all the way through chapter 1. Chapter 1 took us a long time to work our way through. And then we got into chapter 2, and that went a little bit quicker. Uh, but now we're into chapter 3. And so today I'm going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And let me go ahead and put this. I don't think my clicker is working yet. There we go. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And if you saw that slide, I clicked pack, uh, past it really quick there. But um, the, the sort of the theme for the whole book of Ephesians is how big is your view of God? Uh, and then we talk about how big is your view of God's church with the second half of uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Then we talk about how big is your view of, uh, um, how big is your view, uh, what was the third one? How big is your view of um, God's salvation? That's right, it was on the tip of my tongue. And so now we're moving into, that was chapter 2. Chapter 3, this first part uh, of chapter 3 especially is, uh, I'm titling it, How Big Is Your View of the Gospel? Right? The gospel is the gospel message. The word gospel means good news. And so uh, he kind of talks about the gospel through this section. And we really need to ask the question, how big is your view of God's gospel? And so we're going to read Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. I'm going to read it out loud. And uh, I'd like to encourage you to follow along. Uh, I've done, I do this every once in a while, but I know a long time ago they used to, at the reading of Scripture, they would ask everyone to stand. So if you're able to stand, I'd like you to stand through Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. When we're done, I'm going to pray. And then you can have a seat. So if you would, wouldn't mind standing for Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, if you can. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light to, for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, help us to understand it. Lord, help us understand what Paul was writing about and what he was talking about. Lord, I pray that you would take your word today and, and, and pierce the hearts of everyone in this room. Lord, that all of us together, that as we hear your word... God, that it would be like a sword. It would be sharp and it would be powerful. 
Lord, I pray that it would pierce us down, even to the, 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 our thoughts and intentions, Lord, that we would realize who we are. Lord, I also pray that you would use this word to, to encourage us on to do what we need to do. Help us to understand the gospel and who Christ is and what Paul was doing. In all of these things, I just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, as we've read this, uh, we're taking a peek now of the book of Ephesians, right? We are now taking a peek into the mind of Paul in this particular passage. I mean, Paul the Apostle, through the first part, he's talking about God, and he's talking about the church, he's talking about what happened in the hearts of the Ephesians, and but in this particular section that I just read to you, Paul gets really personal, right? Could you, could you tell that as we were reading through it? Paul is talking about himself. He's, this is where I'm at, and this is who I am, and this is what's going on. So we're getting a little peek into the mind of Paul the Apostle. What were his thoughts? What were his motivations? What, 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 did he, what was he thinking about when he was thinking about all this to do with the gospel, right? What was Paul thinking about? And I, I don't want you to miss something here because... I'm going to start with just those first few words. He says, for this reason, or some versions say, for this cause, right? Now, the reason why Paul's saying this, I I actually kind of appreciated this as I was thinking about the book of Ephesians. Paul is actually, in chapter 3, he's he's picking up a prayer that he had started originally. If you look back to chapter 1, verse 15, you'll notice the same words. For this reason, or some versions say, for this cause. So if you go back to chapter 1, verse 15, you'll see it. Right there. For this reason. Right? So, so Paul was going through, and he's talking about all the things that God did in chapter 1. And he says, for this reason or for this cause. In other words, because of all this, I'm going to do this, is what he's saying. This is my cause. Because of all this, I'm going to do this. And notice in chapter 1, he, he talks about all these things God has done. And then what's he do? He says, for this reason or for this cause, I'm going to pray for you. Right? I'm thankful for you, and I'm going to pray for you that you won't miss it. Well, then he kind of starts to digress a little bit. He prays, and and then in chapter 2, he's kind of, you know, through the course of that prayer, he starts talking about the glories of Christ, and he gets kind of sidetracked, and he talks about who the Ephesians were and who they were originally in their hearts and and the fact of what Christ did. And he goes all the way through chapter 2, and he gets done, and and it's almost like he says, oh, yeah, I was praying for you. And so he says again, for this cause... I, Paul, but he doesn't pick it up again. He goes, Paul, a prisoner. And and he starts talking about himself. He digresses again. And so technically, in chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, For this reason, I, Paul, and he's getting ready to say what he's going to do, he doesn't get to it until verse 14. So in verse 14, see, he digressed again. And I do this all the time. I, I get on rabbit trails, right? Uh, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. And, and, here, and, and by the way... Right? And that's kind of what Paul did. And so if you look down, chapter 3, verse 14, what do you see again? For this reason or for this cause. And then he finally finishes it up. I bow my knees before the Father. Right? And so chapter 3, okay, so now if you heard all those things I said, and you're like, okay, what's he talking about? Here it is, right? Chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 13 is, is a rabbit trail. Right? Where Paul says, for this cause, where he's picking up what he started in chapter 1, He's praying for the Ephesians. For this cause, because of what God did, and because of who Christ is, because of the cause of Christ, I'm going to pray for you. But he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner, who, right, and he rabbit trails off. And then he gets done with the rabbit show, and he comes back to verse 14. He says, 
For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. So there's a, there's a big picture flow of thought through all of these, where in Ephesians, Paul just kind of has this tendency to rabbit trail off, right? But now, there's something I don't want you to miss as we take a glimpse into the life of Paul and to the mind of Paul. I want you to notice that as he shares these things, there's sort of a sandwich of thought, okay? Right at the very beginning of this rabbit trail, chapter 3, verse 1, he talks about being a prisoner, right? If you go all the way down to verse 13, he talks again about suffering. And so when, when Paul rabbit trails onto his life, he sandwiches it into this sandwich of suffering. Do you see that? But I want you to note as well that it's not purposeless suffering. It's not purposeless suffering. In fact, it, as you read this, and he starts off talking about being a prisoner and, and, and for the sake of these Gentiles and for Christ, and he ends it with, with I'm suffering on, on your behalf, as he kind of packages his life and his connection to Christ in the sandwich of suffering, right? It, it's, it's not purposeless. In fact, it's full of meaning and purpose. For Paul, suffering was very meaningful and very purpose-filled kind of suffering. Now, you might be wondering why that's like that. I mean, frankly, because uh, as Americans, we don't naturally see suffering as purposeful, right? We, that's not our natural response to suffering. In fact, usually suffering of any type is, is kind of a sidetrack to what we're trying to do. Right? Like I'm going through my life and I got my plans and my dreams and my hopes. I got the white picket fence at the end of the trail, right? I got all these things that I want. And and, and something comes in causes me to suffer. And, and our version of suffering is we're, we're not going down the path we wanted. And we look at well, this is pointless. Right? Car breaks down. Pointless. I get sick. Pointless. I mean, this is just holding me back from what I want and what I want to accomplish. But for, for Paul, he looked at all suffering very differently. He looked at it as being full of purpose, right? Full of purpose. We'll come back to some of these thoughts, but I want you to understand why Paul looked at it that way. Uh, Acts chapter 9, and you don't have to turn there. I'm going to put this up on the screen for you. Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 16, is right at the very beginning of Paul's life. In fact, Acts chapter 9, Paul is still called Saul. Everybody know that Paul was originally called Saul? Well, when Paul was still called Saul, Saul was actually a, a murderer of Christians. He went around killing Christians, right? And so Paul's out there, he's killing Christians, and, and Christ intervenes in his life, and, 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 and what are you doing? And, and he gets to this place where, where Paul's ready to... But th this interaction with Christ left Paul blind. And so the Lord actually goes, goes to a man named Ananias. And the Lord goes to Ananias and says, Hey, I want you to go heal Saul. And Ananias... Reasonably so, goes, I don't think I want to. <laughs> what he says is, Lord, don't you know that this is the one who was killing? Are you sure you want me to go heal him and give him his sight back? I mean, he may, maybe, maybe the news of Saul being blind had, had traveled around. I mean, can you imagine if there was a man in Danville that was killing Christians? And then that man got struck blind. As Christians, wouldn't we be kind of happy about that? Good job, Lord. Right? 
And then can you imagine having that feeling and then the Lord comes to you and says, go heal him. Are you sure, Lord, that's what you want me to do? And I want you to, I want you to hear the Lord's response. So the Lord, here's Ananias, and this is what he says to him. He says this, Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. He says, But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. In other words, uh, Ananias, go, because I've actually chosen him as an instrument. I'm going to use Saul, who's going to be called Paul. I'm going to use him to take my name throughout the rest of the Gentile world. He, he's going to go before kings and before Gentiles, before all the children. He's going he's to go. And we know, does Paul eventually do all those things? Yeah. But I want you don't miss this. Listen to what he says next. This is what the Lord tells Ananias next. He says this, For I will show him, Paul, how much he must, what's that say? Suffer for the sake of my name. In other words, I'm going to, Paul's my instrument, and I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for the sake of my name. Now, if you just heard that sentence, right? Enemy of the cross gets struck blind, and the Lord says, I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake. You'd almost be thinking that was like a retaliation of God, wouldn't you? It's not. This is God's grace in Paul's life. God says, I, I'm going to... I'm." In my greatest, most gracious event in Paul's life, I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for me. I, I'm going to be honest with you. This is very backwards to how I think. When I think of God calling me, I usually think it means less suffering. But it's, in Paul's sake, suffering. Called to suffer. Paul was called specifically to suffer for the sake of Christ. Interesting, isn't it? I would like you to look at another passage. Uh, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. Peter is talking about, and I'm going to let you see this one up here as well. Peter is talking about in this next passage, instead of Paul, now we're going to talk about Peter. Uh, that last one was the Lord talking to Ananias about Paul. Here we're going to have Peter is actually going to share something. Now, Peter takes it to the to full extreme. Peter doesn't just talk about suffering. He talks about a particular aspect of a certain type of suffering. And, he, and he's going to talk about unjust suffering. Now, as Americans, when we see unjust suffering, to us that is the most pointless, meaningless type of suffering. When somebody suffers unjustly, we think, well, that was just point. That did not need to happen. That was pointless but listen to how Peter talks about unjust suffering. He's talking about unjust suffering. He says this. He says, For this reason, or I'm sorry, for this is a gracious thing. Suffering, by the way, is what he's talking about. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering. Uh, you hear what he's saying? This is a gracious thing. This is a gracious thing that God does, is when you endure sorrows while suffering. Right? And notice he says, while suffering, what kind of suffering? Unjustly. This is a gracious thing when you suffer sorrows, suffering unjustly. Notice he says next, for what credit, or what good is it, right? What good is it? What credit is it uh, if when you sin, 
and are beaten for it. Now, he's talking about specifically like a servant working for a master or like a slave working for a master. If, if, if you do something wrong, right, and you have to suffer for that, he says, that's no good. That, there's no credit in that, is there? You've been bad. You suffered for it, okay? He says, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it and you endure? He says, but if when you uh, do good and suffer for it, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Are you ready for this? Listen to the next phrase. For to this you have been called. Why? Why have I been called to suffer, God? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. See, this wasn't just for Paul. This is for all of us. As a Christian... Because Christ suffered for you, part of Christ's calling for you is a calling to suffer. Now, if you sit down at home and you turn on the TV and you you find a preacher on TV, many of them will not say this. In fact, they'll say the exact opposite thing. Right? Many of them will say that the reason why you're suffering is because of sin or lack of faith. And if you don't want that to happen, you just got to have more faith and then you'll stop suffering. But I'm telling you right now, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Christ has called you to suffer for his name's sake. Right? He's not called you to a comfy existence on this planet. He's called you to a life of suffering for his name's sake. Because he also suffered for who? Us, right? (laughs) You, me, us. He came to this world uh, very specifically to suffer for your sake. And part of following him, following him in his steps, is to say his steps led to a cross of suffering. And so if you're going to follow Christ, your path leads to Suffering. In other words, since Christ suffered, so you should suffer. It's gracious, even with unjust suffering. Even with suffering that there's no rhyme or reason to it as far as we can tell. Totally unjust. It's a calling. It's a following of Christ. Suffering for these people was full of meaning because Christ came to suffer. And so Paul looked at it that way. Okay? Now, little side note. I understand that the Bible teaches things like, for example, in Romans chapter 8, we hear God works all things together for good. Have you ever heard that before? Now, I, I hear so many people use that so inappropriately, right? Something bad happens. And somebody says, well, God's going to do something good out of this because God works all things together for good. And what they mean by that is like, this might be bad, but there's going to be something so much greater later. I mean, I, I might lose this, but I'm not going to get something better. Right? But understand that what is the good... God doesn't leave you the good open to your interpretation. What you think is good. If you read Romans 8, it goes on to say, God works all things together for good to them who love Him, to them who are called according to His purpose, that what? You might be transformed into the image of Christ. See, what God is doing, the good that God is doing in your life, when, when He's working all things for good is He is transforming you to be like Christ. What was Christ like? 
Christ walked a path that led to a cross and led to suffering. See, that, that verse is misused because so many people use it to say, I might have had to suffer something little here, but God's going to make my life so much better right now. And it's not about that. Even in James, when it talks about that all trials are there for the working of patience, even in James, there's a similar thought there. It's not just, hey, these things are happening for personal and betterment. It's so that we'll be more like Christ. And it's all about the furtherance of the gospel. Right? It's not just about patience so that I can have, and have my life better and enjoy my life better. It's for Christ's sake. Christ's followers are called to follow in that. I'd like to turn to another passage of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 7 through 9. Now, Paul is talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and I'll put the reference up here in a minute. 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 9. Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says this For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control. Yes, take on the world, right? God, he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, of self control. But you ready for this? Therefore, Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Right? The gospel. Don't be ashamed about this testimony. Don't hold back. Don't be ashamed of it. In fact, he says, nor of me as his prisoner. Here, he's a prisoner when he's writing this as well. Don't be ashamed of me as a prisoner for, for his sake. I'm not embarrassed by it, in other words. Right? But, what? What, is, what do those next words say? Next three words. But what? Share in suffering. Uh, before we read the rest of this, I want you to think about what, what he's saying. Okay, Paul writes Timothy a letter and he says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. God, God gave you a spirit not of, to be afraid, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control, right? A sound mind. And so God gave you the spirit. And so don't be ashamed of the testimony. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed that I'm a prisoner. In fact, I want you to share in this Wait a minute, Paul, you're in prison. And Paul's saying, I want you to share in the suffering. Right? Paul doesn't write to Timothy and say, man, this is bad. I hope you never have to go through this. What do you say instead? Share in the suffering for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of Christ. Right? Share in the suffering for the gospel. Right? By the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. No, but his calling is a calling to suffer. He says a similar thing in, in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2, verse 3. He says this, Share in suffering. Again, he tells Timothy, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Hey, as a good soldier, I want you to share in suffering. In other words, if you're going to do what God has called you to do, if you're going to follow Christ the way you're supposed to be following Christ in this holy calling, then participate, share in suffering. Once again, this goes very much against the grain of the, the typical American mentality. We do everything we can to avoid suffering. In fact, some people become Christians and start believing in God simply because they, they believe that this might even cause even less suffering. This might be the thing that would, would cause me to suffer even less because now I have faith in God and so God can work out everything and he can, he can make sure I don't have to suffer at all now. That's not what it's about. 
Paul just says, share it. This is, a, this is what I'm called to, and I want you to be called to that too. And Peter says, hey, you're all called to suffer for Christ. Paul understood this. You know, he also knew that he was suffering for the people, not just for Christ, but also for the sake of those people. If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13, where we were at, that he ends that, he says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Right? Not just suffering in general for Christ, but specifically he understood, I'm suffering for Christ. He says at the beginning, I'm a prisoner for Christ. But he says at the end, he says, I'm suffering for you, for you people. I'm suffering for you. Right? Paul understood this. Let me ask you a question before we go on. How many of us could say that? That we share in the suffering in such a way that we could say specifically, like Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm suffering for you people. Do we have anybody in our life that we would say, for the sake of the gospel, I'm suffering for them? In fact, let, let me even take a step back. And let's not phrase it that way. Let's phrase it this way. How many of us right now would say, I am to- don't raise your hand, I'm just asking you to chew on this in your mind and your heart. How many of you are saying, would say, I'm absolutely willing to suffer anything for, for the gospel to be shared and spread and told? I'm willing to suffer anything for people so that they can hear the gospel. Right? Anything. I'm willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Not just are you right now, but are you willing to? Are you willing to say, if, if the gospel could be spread by my suffering, bring it on. Bring it on. I'm ready. I, I find at work in my heart when I start thinking, see, because I have to ask myself the same question. You know what I find at work in my heart? Maybe you have the same thing. I find at work in my heart this. Yes, except for... Right? Anybody have that, that kind of feeling like, I'm willing to suffer. Yeah, okay, I think I could suffer for you, Lord, as long as it's not one of these five things, because these things are really important to me, Jesus. Right? You know, I've got to be honest. I, I think about suffering. You know, my, my top top things, uh, my family. I'm willing to suffer anything, but if it meant to lose someone in my family, I, I just have a hard time saying, Lord, I'm willing to, to even, I, I'm willing to even endure that kind of loss for the gospel. Some of us, if we were really honest right now, we'd say, family, important. Gospel, not as important as family. Paul didn't view it that way. The gospel was prime. Right? How many of us are willing to say, I'm willing to suffer? Why would Paul do all of this suffering? Why would he do this? I think we can find some of that answer in, in verse 2. I'm going to go through some of this real quickly, so just follow along. In verse 2 he says this. Uh, he talks about suffering in verse 1. He says, on behalf of you Gentiles, and he says, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Stewardship is like, the word steward can be translated as manager. In other words, Paul's saying, uh, I'm suffering for you because I've been given this responsibility. Imagine for a moment you're an astronomer, right? And you're looking through one of those giant telescopes. And you're, you've been studying stars for a long time. And you're looking up there and, 
and and just maybe by chance or maybe you could you could chalk it up to God's providence, you notice, wait, what's that dot right there? And then you start doing something. This is how they actually do this, by the way. They start doing some calculations. Well, let's see, it's moving this way. I haven't seen this in this part of the sky before. And they start calculating. And suddenly, through all of his calculations, all of your calculations as an astronomer, you realize this is a giant asteroid. And you do some more calculations. And you go, I think this is headed towards Earth. And you do some more calculations. You go, it is headed towards Earth. It's headed right towards us. And you're the only person that knows. Right? You're it. So there's a giant asteroid headed towards Earth, and you're the only one that knows. Would you consider that you got some responsibility to tell some other people? Right? Paul viewed the, the gospel message as a stewardship or as responsibility. He understood the mystery of Christ. And let me read these next few passages here, uh, or next few verses. Verses uh, 3 uh, through 6. Let me just read through them real quick. He's talking about the stewardship of God's grace, and he says this. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's a lot of words there, but I want you to get this. Paul's saying... The mystery of Christ, which we've actually talked about before, the mystery of Christ is that Christ is for everybody. And Paul understood this. This is, And he felt he had a responsibility or stewardship to share. I mean, think about it from his perspective. He's there in Israel when he finds out on his road to Damascus and he understands the gospel. And the whole rest of the planet didn't know about Jesus. There was no hope for any of them. And Paul looked at that. And the first disciples, the first apostles looked at it this way. The first Christians understood the only hope for anybody else is the gospel. And so they knew they had to go and share. I, I want you to consider as well, I, I don't have time to, to read this whole passage, but um, uh, I, I'm just going to kind of point uh, a couple things out here in 2 Corinthians, uh, exactly how, how much he believed in this and how much uh, it was important to him to, to suffer by looking at how did Paul actually suffer. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Verses 23 through 28. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just he, he's, he, there's another topic he's talking about. But then he starts sharing how he suffered. Um, he talks about the labors and imprisonments, countless beatings. And I don't have this on the screen for you. He says, often near death. Now listen to this. Paul says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. In other words, the 39 lashes that Christ received before the cross with the whip that pulled the skin off the back. Five times that happened to Paul. Right? Uh, he says, three times I've been beaten with rods. He says, once I was stoned. Right? Rocks hurled. Can you imagine? Rocks hurled at him. He says, three times I was shipwrecked. He says, once he says, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Right? 
Apart from other things, he says, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. In other words, all this other stuff I'm going through, I'm also full of anxiety for all the churches that I've, I've made a connection with. If you can skip down to 1210, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In other words, all this stuff that Paul suffered, which is by far beyond anything we've suffered, Paul said, I'm content for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, right? Are you willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip through uh, the next little section. I was going to take a a moment and read through the second half of uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul talks about the gospel and he talks about the fact that this is there's grace for this suffering. And so let me just put it up there. I'm going to skim through it real quick. He says, Of the gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. In other words, the, everything he's talking about he says it's according to God's grace. Right? He he talks about to me, verse eight, I'm the very least. Right? But I just want to focus on the second half of this. For him the suffering was for this purpose to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay? The unsearchable riches of Christ. And I believe that this is one of the keys to understanding how we can go through suffering with purpose. And so let me ask you a few questions, okay? I want to skip ahead here and ask you this question. How might you suffer for the gospel? See, it doesn't do us any good to just sit here and hear this and think about Paul and just kind of, you know, how Paul, he was great, he suffered for the gospel and not understand that God has also called you to suffer for the gospel. Okay? So how might you suffer for the gospel? So I'm going to go through a few quick questions, and this feel free to participate in this in some way. I'll get you started, though. <clears throat> how about with health? Now, how could struggles in health help you to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ? That's the question. I'm going to ask it again. Now we're going to go through some other things. We're just going to start with this one. How could struggles with health help you to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ? See, you have an opportunity with any suffering to share the gospel because of the suffering. How might in struggles with health, health you might be able to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ? Now, as you're chewing on that one, because it's the first one, I'm going to help you think through this one. And then the other ones, I'm going to a little bit more uh, connection. One of the ways that you can do this is this. In Colossians chapter 3, and I'm, I don't, I'm not going to turn there, but in Colossians chapter 3, it talks about how Christ is our life. He says, when Christ who is our life, right? See, one of the ways that you can preach the gospel in health struggles is to, to let everyone know, I've got Jesus I'm content with anything else. He's my life. I'm not concerned about this life. I'm concerned about that life. And He's my life. My life is now hidden with Christ. In fact, that's what it says in Colossians. Our lives are now hidden with Christ and God. This is one way that in health struggles, we can talk about the gospel. See, when we respond negatively to health troubles, if you, if you have struggling health and you respond negatively to that, what you're saying is that Christ isn't enough. Christ isn't enough. 
I love Jesus. I want Christ. But I, I want Christ and... No. Christ. We can come back to some of these. And we may talk about this a little bit this, this afternoon, just briefly. But how about um, in death? Not your own death. When you face death of others. Now, that last passage in Colossians could be helpful. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. But with the death of family or loved ones, a good person to turn to is always Job, right? Job, we talk about Job lost all of his possessions. We talk about the loss of his health. But the one that strikes me the hardest is the loss of his entire family except for his wife. He loses all of his children. Like that. Now, what a lot of people don't realize in the book of Job is, here's the real debate of Job. Satan goes to God, and basically what Satan says is this. God, you're not enough. See, people, God, people will only worship you for what you give them. You, by yourself, you're not enough, God. You're not enough. And God's, God, that's not true. All by myself, I'm worth it. Because I'm God. People don't worship me, Satan, because of what I give them. People worship me because I'm God. Satan says, yeah, right. And God says, hey, have you seen Job? Here's a good example of what we're talking about. And Satan goes, Job only worships you because look at you, you've given him all this stuff, you've given him a big family, you've given him good health. That's the only reason why he worships you, God. So God says, oh yeah? Take it all away. And actually, God is the one who takes it all away, it says. God takes away his, all of his possessions. God takes away all of his children. God takes away his health. And Job says, God gives. God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because Job understood that God is enough. Now, Job didn't understand the mystery of Christ, but you can do this yourself in health loss, in family, loved one loss, in, in, in you know, possession loss financially. If you don't have anything, you can easily still say, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Jesus is enough. And now you can say that all that you want, but people can see right through it. If, if you lose your health and you lose, and as you lose your health, you lose your, your attitude goes down the drain, right? And you're depressed and you're sad. and you're, Now, there's nothing wrong with weeping over those that you've lost, but when, when people just go down the tubes, you're not preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. In relationships, this is also important. In marriages, Christ is enough. My wife and I, we counsel people who are struggling in their marriages quite often. And one of the things that we have to tell them is this. You don't stay in your marriage. You don't stay married because you're fulfilled by this person. You stay in your marriage because Christ is worth it. Right? Because Christ is worth it. 
our, our a loving marriage is a picture of who Christ is. And so we, we stay in those things for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. And so in all these things, there's ways that we can preach the unsearchable riches of Christ in how we suffer. But the one that I wonder about sometimes the most is the last one I want to mention to you, which is in persecution. Most of us don't experience much persecution for the sake of the gospel. Most of us don't share the gospel and have to deal with any repercussions for that. And I think the time is going to come where we're not going to be able to get away with that anymore in this country. I think we're going to get to a place in this country. I think in our lifetimes, we're going to get to a place in this country where you're not going to be able to talk about the gospel the way it is presented in the Bible without suffering for it. And we're getting close to that. If you follow the news, we're getting close to that. But I, I have to ask the question, though. I think some of us shy away, right? We avoid suffering... When we have an opportunity to suffer for the gospel, we avoid it a little bit in little small ways. I mean, how many times have you thought about sharing Jesus with somebody, but then you think, well, they might think I'm weird. They're going to think I'm nutty. They're going to think I'm goofy, right? They're going to think I'm some kind of religious freak. And so we, we hesitate. And we only share the gospel we think we can do it in a way that they're going to respond well. If they're not going to respond well, if they're going to be like, okay, you're weird, we don't do it. Why? Sometimes we, we shy away from it because we, we know that if I share the gospel with somebody, we know it's going to cause some conflict. See, because there's a lot of people that we know that have a different view of the gospel than what the Bible presents. They think the gospel is all about praying to God so that you can get good stuff. Right? Trust Jesus. He'll give you good stuff. <laughs> right? Now, they don't say that. Or how about this one? A lot of people we know, they say, oh, I believe in God. Don't go to church. Don't, they're not, you know. And we go, oh, okay. Instead of saying the next thing that we need to say. Well, do you know the Bible teaches a different view of belief than I think what you're thinking? Right? Are you willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel? Maybe endure criticism? Maybe, maybe you know I'm afraid to do it because if I do, I'm going to be shunned by this person. I don't want to be shunned by them. I love them. I want them to be part of my life. But you're afraid to do it because you're afraid to really share the gospel with them because you're afraid of how they're going to react. Are you willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to get to a place where you can say like Paul, I suffer for you. I'm suffering for you. As I close, I want to close by praying a very specific prayer for you today. If you're willing to share in this prayer, and I encourage you to do it in your head, in your heart, to pray a similar thing with me. Okay. Now, what I'm going to pray for specifically is this. And you're, going to hear, you're not going to hear this from a lot of people, but it, it, it's a risky, man, being part of the gospel is a risky, dangerous business. And so I'm going to pray for something specific. I'm going to pray that we would all have opportunities to suffer for the sake of the gospel.
Now, I know some of you are tempted to get up and run out before I start because you don't want that to happen. I don't want to suffer. So, if you're willing to stay, let me pray for you and for me that God might call us. Maybe, maybe, like Paul, I want to show them what great things you might suffer for the sake of Christ. Are you willing to follow in Christ's footsteps? Christ who suffered for you, are you willing to suffer for Him by following in His steps? Let's pray. Lord, I'm about to engage in a what feels like a very dangerous sort of prayer. And my natural fears within me are afraid to pray it. But Lord, you are worth it. You're worth any suffering. And Lord, when I think about what you've done on the cross for me, Lord, when I think about the fact that you came to this earth, took our sins upon yourself and died on a cross for our sake and you suffered for us, Lord, I can only hope that you might give me an opportunity to suffer for you. Lord, I've lived a a pretty comfy, cushy life. And I don't want to get through this life having scraped by with no real challenges, Lord. And so, Lord, I want to ask for myself first, Lord, that you would call me to follow in your footsteps and to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Lord, there are so many that do not have the gospel. And if today you return today, Lord, there are so many that I know personally that I've had contact with that don't have the gospel. And if they died today, Lord, they would spend eternity in hell. And so, Lord, I pray that for their sake and for your sake, that you would give me an opportunity, if, if it might, Lord, in some way, advance the gospel. Lord, I pray and I ask for suffering. Lord, I pray for this church. Lord, I know that there may be some in here that say, no, thank you. I'd rather not. Lord, I pray for those that are willing today to pray with me. Lord, bring whatever suffering you want into my life for the sake of the gospel. Lord, bring whatever suffering that you would want to bring into my life for the sake of the gospel. Lord, that we might say that prayer regularly, daily. Lord, bring whatever suffering into my life that you might want for the sake of the gospel. Lord, for the sake of your gracious gospel, for the sake of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Lord, bring whatever suffering that you would want. Lord, call me to that. Lord, I know I'm not worthy to suffer for your name's sake, but Lord, I, I pray that you would count me worthy because of Jesus Christ to give me opportunities in this life to suffer for your name's sake and for the sake of the gospel. 
Lord, I pray this trusting that you are a good and gracious God that will also give me grace to endure whatever suffering you may bring. Lord, that is what I hope in. Not in the cushy life, but in what you, but in your grace through Christ, your unsearchable riches is all I seek. Help us, Lord, as we struggle, Lord, as suffering might come, even this week, Lord, we don't know. Help us not to lose faith, but to trust in you and rejoice in our sufferings. In Jesus' name I pray.